Good morning, everybody. I just had a kind of cool moment sitting there singing that song this morning, thinking about uh, all the years that people have taken the name of Jesus with them. For us to be here today, 2,000 years after Jesus, and, and we're still doing it. All the people that are in this room today still remembering him and still taking him with us. And that's fascinating because through the pandemic, through all the things our world has seen, it's still here. And we're fickle, man. We, we start something one day and we forget the next. We procrastinate, and yet our Lord, His Word is true, and so it has survived all of this. It has survived the test of time, not because we can carry it, but because of the message that is there. So uh, it's special to be here together. Thank you for continuing on another week with us. This morning I want to talk from Psalm chapter 84. And I was reading through this about a week ago, and it really jumped out at me. And I needed this study because, because of what the psalmist says here in regard to the courts of the Lord and worship and service. And so I want to quick read through these verses uh, and uh, we'll go back through them and one at a time and we'll look at and unpack them. But it's just 12 verses, so I'll, I'll go ahead and read through them now. Verse 1 of Psalm 84. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your tabernacle. O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in You. And that's what I have here as the title on the beginning, at the outside of this slide, this presentation is better than a thousand outside. And we'll get to that verse toward the end. So to start out, this first verse, or this first intro, says that this is a psalm written by the sons of Korah. Now, the psalmist, the psalms are broken down into different people. Some are David, some are, uh, are the sons of Korah. There's different writers. And this one, this, this psalm of praise and adoration to God, is a psalm from the sons of Korah. And if you remember from the Old Testament, Korah was the man in the wilderness with Moses who started a rebellion. He started to come up against Moses and say, man, what do you think you're doing being above us? And we'll get to that in a minute. But he started a rebellion and ended up being swallowed by the earth. God's punishment and God's judgment for going against God's ordained leadership was that the ground would swallow up and consume these, these rebels. And these people, the sons of Korah, are the descendants of that man who started all that. The man who was the cause of all that. And so as these sons write this psalm of praise to God, 
We're going to see some interesting things from that as we go forward. But just keep that in your mind, that picture in your mind, that these are the sons of the men who died because they were swallowed in the earth. Okay, verse 1 of Psalm 84. It says there, How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. So I'm going to be using the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, for some of this. And you noticed it was a little bit different in the New King James. It said the tabernacle. How lovely uh, are your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. But what that means here is a little more plain English. It's a dwelling place. It is a dwelling place for the Lord. For the courts of the Lord right there is talking about... In the Old Testament context, in the Old Testament, as we studied through recently, they had the different court layers. So they had the court, uh, the court of, of Israel, they had the court of the women, and then they had the court of the Gentiles. These are all the places surrounding God's holy place where the people could go to meet God. God said, I will be there and you can come to meet me here in this holy place. And those were the courts. And the psalmist is saying, my soul longed and even yearned for the place where I could meet the Lord, where I could come to worship and praise the Lord. And it's not that, that this psalmist is saying that he was absent from the courts of the Lord, like he wasn't there. What he's saying is that he can't get enough of it. He is never satisfied. His soul is longing to come to the place where he could worship God. Never satisfied. Verse 3, the bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even in your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. So here's a picture of swallows. I know we've had them on our front porch. They make a nest up underneath kind of your eaves, uh, maybe on your front porch. And the psalmist is just making a comparison, it seems to me here from the research I did. The psalmist is just saying, you know, no, we have these local birds who come and nest and the altar and the tabernacle of our God and in the Lord's house, they come and nest and they raise their young here. If these are just animals, how much more should we, God's people, who have received His grace and who have received the welcome to worship Him, how much more should we come to Him and worship and praise Him and come to the courts of the Lord? If even the animals are nesting here, how much more should we? How blessed are those, the, verse, the next verse says, who dwell in your house they are ever praising you. Verse 5. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now this phrase used in the NASB is a lot more literal, and many of the, the originals say it more like this. It's an idea of a highway to Zion. And this, this idea is echoed throughout the Old Testament in Proverbs that talks about the way of holiness, and it speaks of, and I believe Isaiah, the way of righteousness, the way of holiness. This is a life, a pattern of life following God that is headed to Zion. Zion is the city of God. It is that heavenly place where we will meet Him. And he says, whose heart are the highways of Zion. The New King James says, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. It's the same idea, but it's interesting how the New King James words that. Because it's, it's got this idea that we are not in our final place. Because the heart who's set on the highway of Zion is going somewhere. It has a direction for its life that's guided by God and is directed and, and motivated by God. It is a highway to Zion. 
And that is the idea that's conveyed throughout the New Testament as well. That we are pilgrims. This is not where we're supposed to stop. It says in Philippians 3 verse 19 through, or just verse 20 right here. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This idea of our citizenship not being here is what motivates the psalmist to say, this man's highway is to Zion, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. In 1 Peter 1 verse 17, it says a similar thing. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. He's, he's talking about like it's a hotel visit. During your stay here, this life is just temporary. We're to be set on pilgrimage. Verse 6. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. What, what is this valley of Baca? Literally, the word Baca means weeping. He's saying, blessed are those who are passing through the valley of weeping because they make it a spring. A spring is something that brings life. If you're in the desert, it is an oasis. It is a place where you go to, to, to water your animals, to get drink for yourself, maybe to water crops. That spring is life. And he said, blessed are those who, when they go through the valley of weeping, who trust in the Lord, who's, whose highway is to Zion, because when they go through the valley of weeping, they turn even those places into a place of blessing, a place of life where they bring life. Verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. These people, even to go through, go through a place of weeping, it's like every day is a new strength. They're pushed in ways that make them go from strength to strength because that's the only option. And there's people in this room doing that. Just every day, one more strength just to get through the day. And that's the way of the, the man who's on his way to Zion as he will keep growing in vitality and vigor in the service to the Lord. Psalm uh, verse, verse 8 and 9 here. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Salah. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. The focal verse of this, uh, of this chapter, I think, is this. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So I want to first look at the first half of this verse. He says, for a day in your court is better than a thousand outside. As I think about all the things that I could do with a thousand days, all the happy things that could happen, all the things that I like to do that could happen. You know, over the course of a couple years, that's, that's a, about almost three years. Over that course of time, you would... Maybe you'd see a couple World Series if you're, if you're into that. Maybe you, you watch your favorite show thousands of times. Whatever the thing you like to do is think about how many times you could do that over the thousand days. Think about all the things we could do with a thousand days. This psalmist said, I would trade one day to be near to the place where I can meet God than to spend a thousand days being anywhere outside of that. To be anywhere doing anything else one day, I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And for a New Testament comparison, what are these courts he's talking about? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But if I am delayed, I write so that, I, so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, 
which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Today, our house of God is the church of the living God. That is where we come to meet today. That is where we assemble. It's not the building. It's, it's the people here. No matter where we go, this is what we would call the courts of the living God. This is the house of God, it says in 1 Timothy. Do we see this place this morning like that? That's a huge reason why this was such a refreshing, refreshing passage to me is because we've been so limited to time here worshiping. But to remember where our focus is, because if we don't do it, our focus drifts. And so it's our aim, and we need to be avidly searching for ways that we can focus ourselves around this. And, and more along these lines as we'll get into in just a minute. In the second half of the verse, he says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. The New American Standard says to stand at the threshold. What's, the, what's he trying to convey here? So these sons of Korah were designated in their place in the temple to be gatekeepers. And in this role in the temple, they compared to standing at the threshold. They're not even in the holiest of holies. But what he's saying is we would rather fulfill our simple, maybe insignificant role here at the threshold of the house of God than to be anywhere in the tents of wickedness. And he specifically uses two words here that are, that are really telling. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. A house is a place, the language means permanence. It has a connotation of being founded. But the, the wicked have a tent. Those are a fleeting, a passing place of dwelling. And he's saying, I would rather be right here at your doorstep, at a place of permanence where I know my God is, than to be anywhere else. Now, this is where this context of the sons of Korah fascinates me. I, I'm starting to try to dig into the history behind the Psalms. And this is a little fascinating one because the issue with the people before them was quite the opposite of the attitude they just expressed. In Numbers chapter 16 is where this all went down, this issue with Korah and his followers. Verse 1, Now Korah the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the, on the sons of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. So these people all got together. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together Moses and against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? These people come to Moses and Aaron, they're like, I mean, we're all holy. We're all the same. Why do you get this role? Why are you the priest? What makes you so big and mighty? And then Moses goes on to say, okay, well, We'll let God decide. So you guys need to do this. Uh, light, your, light your incense and God will decide. In verse 8, he goes on to say, Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve them? Is it a small thing that God has given you this role in the house of God? Do you, do you really take that as a light thing? 
and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you? And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. What's Aaron that you complain against him? Moses, before God makes his decision, Moses is like, guys, what are you doing? You're coming before the Lord when you make this, this, these, in, these, these, uh, these controversies against us. You're coming against the Lord. Who's Aaron? He's just a servant of the Lord too. Do you really want to try to take over our roles as well? Are you that greedy? And the problem with this is this is the, the attitude that got them all killed. The ground would open up and swallow them. And then later, the people who were with them were burned by fire from heaven. And it all stems from this root. And I'll tell you what that root is in just a minute. But the New Testament addresses it. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. Just because the ear or the eye says, oh, I'm not that part, so it means I'm not part of the body. It's saying, no, no, that doesn't matter whether you, that part of the body feels like it's worthy or, or useful. doesn't mean it is or it isn't. It's useful whether it realizes it or not. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has, has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I've, I have no need of you. What if we were just all eyes? That, that's what a spider is, and we hate spiders. We need every part of the body to make what the body is really supposed to be. And that's why Kor's rebellion happened. They didn't appreciate that. And they didn't take advantage of their role of servitude in the body. And Jesus speaks to this in John 13. It was no accident that he did this. This is hugely significant. This is one of the last things he did before he died. And he wanted to make this clear. It says, And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So Jesus gets down, and all of a sudden he's washing their feet. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. He goes on to say in verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, but are you willing to wash one another's feet? 
I needed to hear that question from Jesus. I needed to hear that challenge. Today we've called him Lord. Are we washing one another's feet? We're in a pandemic, I know. But may we take this time to find ways to adapt, to find, how to, to find out how to serve one another, and how to wash one another's feet. Because it's changing. So we're going to give up, or we're going to adapt. That's the message that's embedded in this psalm that would do that. That is the heart of Jesus before Jesus even came. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Though our fathers, Korah and the men around him, said, I want to be a priest. What's up with this? He said, I just want to be here. And whatever role I'm placed and whatever role I'll take in the Lord's house, I will do it. I'll stand at the threshold. I'll stand outside and guard the door. Than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And that's echoed in the prodigal son. The prodigal son says, I just, it'd be better to be a servant in the house of God than to be out here. My father's servants have more than enough to spare. May we look at this work in the Lord's body as a joyful, honored, and a willing service to the Lord, that we'll see it like it's better to be here serving than be anywhere else. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. And just real quick, in Zephaniah 3, verse 14 through 17, there was a connection here that, that someone pointed out that was fascinating to me. It says there, shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has declared, has, he has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. So at this point in Zephaniah, he has just turned from all the talk about how he's judging them and how they are, have sinned and he's against them. And now he's starting to say, but there's going to be a remnant. There's going to be people who still serve me and walk humbly. And he's saying, I'm in those people's midst. You will fear disaster no more. Verse 16, And that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt, you, he will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. So taking everything we just said about the sons of Korah being joyfully ready to come to God and worship Him, this passage is fascinating, fascinating to me because of God's end of that. God's coming to the remnant who will still serve Him, and He says He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I don't know anywhere else in the Bible that it talks about God's joy being cut, like bursting out of Him. It talks about, you know, the man being approved, but here it says God will shout for joy and sing over you. God sees us that way when we do right and when we walk humbly with our God. And that is fascinating to me because that's what heaven is, isn't it? The attitude we read about in Psalm 84 where, the, where one man says, it is better to be right here anywhere near your presence worshiping God for one day than to be a thousand days anywhere else. And God over here in Zephaniah says, I will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And that's what heaven is, isn't it? It's where those two great 
beautiful passions and service meet. Where we get to be with the God that sees that about us. And where God finally is united with his children who he sees that way. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.